Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Living on Music. I'm Steve Hauck, and um, one of the wonderful, many wonderful parts of of doing Living on Music, but one of the really the, the most rewarding almost and, and enriching for me is being able to talk to people who have done music when I was younger, uh, when I was growing up. Um, you know, I've loved music my whole life. I've interviewed people that I've loved through the 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond, but also in the 60s and early 70s, when music was beginning for me, my parents were very, very much into music, had numerous albums, Neil Diamond, Barbara Streisand, uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, uh, Broadway shows, Beatles, everything. And this gentleman who I have on today, uh, along with um, his uh, cohort, uh, Dan, had were England Dan and I've got John Ford Coley on uh, living on music uh, for you today. Um, it is a wonderful um, talk with with John about you know what it was like um, to kind of you know at a relatively young age to be you know really hit the hit the superstar level of of uh, charts and music and sales and things like that with uh his pal dan um and that's what was amazing it's dan seals uh whose brother uh jim yeah you know the band seals and crofts there you go and so the music is such a big deal here and for john it's going to be a wonderful talk about uh, not only his stuff with dan with england dan and john ford coley but also what he's done since then other kinds of music and things that he's done and what he's been doing now, uh, especially over the last three years as a musician, and we're still talking about it, uh, what it's like to have dealt with the pandemic as a musician, whether you're 24 or 74, um, and um, everybody seems to have been able to find a way through. Anyway, uh, without further ado, please give a warm Living on Music welcome to John Ford Coley. John Ford Coley, I'm telling you, what an honor to have you on Living on Music, man. Welcome. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Yeah, thank you. It is, as as I said in the open, John, and as I mentioned to you pr prior to us starting the show, I've done hundreds of guests from around the world, from, from all over the place. And to, to be able to have people like you on who got into my head as a, as a, as a young person growing up in Connecticut, it, it was all that music that we were hearing as we grew up. And I, I am so happy to have you on just so I want you to know that this is a real honor. Um, what has been going on for the last two or three years for John Forcoli with music? Well, when I would write a song, instead of it being a normal, you know, three minute song, I found myself writing all these epics. So <laughs> Nine minutes long, you know, it's like I don't dare play them on stage because somebody's going to go, what is this, like worship music or something here? You know, you say the same thing over and over and over. No, uh, but I mean, it gave me a lot of time to spend up in the studio, which was wonderful. And John, um, Ambrosia, you know, you're, you, you've, no, you've known them for a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah. How did you guys, I mean, I know you guys got to probably got together back when things were soaring and now look at 2022 that's wonderful that you're going out and playing with them is that um is that feel really neat because it was last year i believe and, and recently yeah i love those guys i've played with them i met them in the in the philippines in 2000 wow we were there uh jimmy jameson was the other person that played he was out of survivor and um we just got to be good friends we started traveling together I've been with those guys since that time. They're they're probably the premier band for me. Wow. And then there's Orleans, you know. If I've got to go out and play, I hope that I end up playing with those guys because they're both terrific bands. I don't even have to get a line check, and I haven't seen them for a year 
or six months, I know that when I walk up on that stage, it's going to be like we played last night. They're that good. Oh, I bet. And, um, you know, the musical kind of spectrum of you right now uh, at this point in life, how how does it feel um, to be where you are right now and and, and also have the legacy of, of what you guys did back when, which we'll talk about in a, in a minute? Well, you know, I don't think any of us ever thought that it would last this long. Right. Uh, the resurgence coming back around, that was so good for us. You know, a lot of the casinos coming up and they started putting people in. It kept us going. And I've done other things, you know, it's like when yes. you build- point you you have to do something else to kind of survive most people think that you know we were all mega millionaires and living off our stock options and i tell people the only stock options i ever had was when i worked at the rodeo and i got the (laughs) of loading in either the the bucking horses or the bulls oh my god you know so um yeah but i i did a number of things um You just you just keep moving forward, but I always played. You just weren't in the public eye. That that was the deal about it. You're always out playing. I came back to Nashville. There's a tremendous number of opportunities to play here. Songwriters in the round. Uh, you know, you're not playing to to twenty five hundred, three thousand, five thousand people now. You're playing to maybe fifty, but it doesn't matter because you're still playing. Right. Absolutely. And what. What you must feel, too, is when people hear the stuff that you originated 40, 50 years ago, that it still runs true in these people. Um, that that has to feel wonderful, too, as, as part of where, you know, where you again are feeling now. Oh, it really does, because you can't judge or, or measure how people's lives were affected. I had some guy the other day, I was on some thread and he came up and he said, you know, we, we had children to you guys. And I started laughing. I said, well, did one of them get my name at least? And he said, as a matter of fact, they did. Oh my God. Oh no. Don't tell me stuff like that. Oh, how sweet is that? That's I mean, not, you know, and again, it's that it's, you know, when we're talking about the songs that, that you guys, you know, obviously have have on that slate back in the day, really love to see you is something that, that is, is in the core with, you know, other things from that era. And I just love the fact that, 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 that remains in here. And it's neat that many years later, it still does to me as a, as a fan of yours, you were born in Dallas, right. Yeah. As John Edward Colley right. and C-O-L-L-E-Y. So you um your your early influences though john are really neat and that's why i put ryman back here that's why i put you know the 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 old grand old opry stage which obviously is now at the new opry uh facility in in nashville but um you were where would the influences come from to john when you were growing up at that age mostly people are surprised because i i although i got whispering bill anderson on the grand old opry and buck owens and people like that Pretty much, I was trained classically. So Bach and Chopin, Mozart, those are the big influences on me still. When I come up to the studio, I'm not playing, you know, some of the rock stuff. I'm playing Bach and Beethoven and keep music behind me. So it keeps me motivated. It keeps me going because, again, the chord structures are entirely different. So I was not, I was raised with a lot of um, show tunes, opera church music, a Stephen Foster, you know, it wasn't just one style of music. It was very eclectic in the approach that I was raised with. So I'm very right. great at that. Oh, I bet you are, John. And what, what turned the, what turned the corner in your probably what in your early teens to go into this a little bit more of a, of a music rock and rollish type of world instead of staying with classical music? Well, first of all, it was exciting and bands were really coming up. Yeah. And so uh, they had a guitar player. There was a band called the Playboys Five. Right. It was Ben and uh, uh, three other guys, or four of the guys. Well, one of them quit. The guitar player quit. So they decided we all want a piano player. Dan wanted another guitar player. My name came up. I'm just a little Rotsy boy, you know, an ROTC and, and running around the school and stuff. Right. So they will come over and and you know, just audition. I went, well, okay, this sounds fun. You know, so I went over and played, didn't know anything about rock and roll playing that way. Right. And ended up getting the gig. Dan and I did not get along at all because he didn't want me in the band. He wanted another guitar player. And uh, so then we would, we would ride 
uh, to various gigs together. And we'd start singing. And both of us were Everly Brother fanatics and, oh. and Righteous Brothers and things like that. So we're singing all these songs. Dan always took the lead. I always took the harmony. Right. Kind of developed a sound and a friendship off of those. Uh, you sure did, <laughs> and, and and you had. I love the fact that you had Southwest FOB right. was this band that actually, you know, you had a you had a, a, a one hit, the smell of incense, which did well, and t playing on the bill with Led Zeppelin. Yeah, what was that experience? You remember anything I, memorable I, about that? Really meet them. We played in Houston and in Dallas with them. I just remember, you know, they they were off on the other side. They didn't pay any attention to us. Didn't even really get to meet them. But the funny thing about the smell of incense is that uh, that was our first record in the FOB. That's the one that kind of got things going for us as a, as a local band. Well, Jimmy Greenspoon from Three Dog Night, children oh. dog. I love those guys. I just saw Danny Hutton recently, uh, one of the singers uh, playing down in Greenville, Texas. Jimmy and I were talking one night because he, he'd come to Nashville and we'd just hang out. And so we were talking about one another's history. And I told him about, uh, you know, being in the FOB. And we had a song called Smell of Incense. And he went, whoa, from the West Coast Pop Art Experimental Band, that Smell of Incense. And I went, you've heard of that group? And he went, John, I was... <laughs> keyboard player in that group and i went what and we had actually met one another because they played that's where we heard the song down in a place called luann's in dallas and oh just, my things just kind of continue to come full circle all the time That's spectacular. That and that's that was a, a, a certainly a, a one of the big steps for you is is that band. And then, you know, you and Dan decided to do as you just said. You started to play your own acoustic act, which was what Collie and Wayland, right before the the name was changed. What prompted? And this is something that a lot of people, and you've told this to many times, I'm sure, but some people who don't know exactly how did. England Dan and also John Ford Coley and Ford Coley become the names for you two. Well, Collie Whalen really wasn't cutting it. Yeah. Uh, and so you want something that's going to catch people's attention. Right. And he just wasn't doing it. So Jimmy Seals, Dan's older brother from Seals and Cross. Unbelievable, right? He says, I got a name for you guys. And because Dan used to run around mimicking the English accent all the time. So it's like, it was terrible. If you've ever heard a Texan attempt to mimic any accent other than maybe <laughs> South Carolina, I mean, you know, it's it's funny. Right. So um, he came up and he said, how about England, Dan and John Ford Coley? And we both kind of went, cool. Wow. He says, we dropped the L from your name. Make it Coley. Because all my life, I've been called Cooley, Conley, Coley, Cowley, everything but Collie. And so it kind of got to be irritating. And so we dropped that one L, like Red Foley. Right. Then John Ford, it was, it was, there was a funny story with that. Several years ago, there was this uh, church that I had gone to. And one of the preachers there was black and the other one was white. The white guy came up to me while I'm talking with the other uh, the other pastor, and he said, man, 
I love your name. He said, I, how did you get that name? And I looked at the other preacher and I went, you're not going to like it. <laughs> and he said, no, how did you get your name? And I said, well, John Ford, although he was a director, mine comes from John Rip Ford, the Confederate general that won the last battle in the war for Southern independence down in Texas. Oh, he went, God. Oh, and the other guy, he, he had already blasted the, you know, the Southern Confederacy before. Right. And it, don't do that. It's over. All my family were Confederate. So just so stop, you know, two of them. Oh. I don't care. And, um, so that's, that's pretty much how that came about. But I think he also participated in the burial of um, a lot of the men from the Alamo. Oh, wow. Got the ashes and stuff like that, and they placed them in San Fernando Church down in San Antonio. Wow. So, a little history on that. Oh, big time. That's that's fascinating, man. And I love the way that, you know, it kind of meshes the beginning of, of what became an incredible run. And again, being a music guy myself over the last 50, 60 years uh, and looking at what music has done and what kind of music comes out, you guys hit it huge. Did you expect over those next few years to become what you did? No, not at all. But my saying on that is there's so many people that tried this there are people that can play me under the table i couldn't i couldn't match them on my best day and it was just kind of like god reached down and kissed us on the head and said here we go but i'll tell you a story that's inspired me the, the entire time through because again i wasn't taking it very seriously i'm playing the band back in texas and at a certain point i'm going to school there's no piano up there, not practicing. And we went into our Thursday night rehearsal for our gigs for the weekend. Right. And they were going to let me go. They were going to also let the bass player go because we just weren't progressing in the way that we needed to go. So they said, you've got a week to straighten this out. And I liked playing in the band. You know, it, it was it was fun. It was a great weekend thing. And I, I loved the playing and the entertainment of it and meeting people. Right. And so it really made me mad. I'm driving back to school the next morning. And this is going to sound strange. Again, I don't care. I've heard voices three times in my life. This was the first time it scared me to death. I'm driving to North Texas and whatever was there said, I gave you the gift. What you do with the gift is up to you. But wow. if you do not use the gift, I will take it from you and I will give it to someone who will. Oh. And that was it. Scared me to death. And wow. I became extraordinarily serious about playing. So oh. as I go out on the road. I take my guitar with me, carry it with me because I'll play in the, in the airport. I'll play anywhere. They asked me to come to the Philippines one time and said, don't bring your guitar. We'll get you a guitar when you get here. And I said, yeah, what do I do in the airport? What do I do in the hotel room? I play all the time, guys. I don't just pick this thing up when I get on stage. I play all the time. Right. But really love to do it. So being able to do that and you wonder again, how did we get this? There are people that, I mean, when I came back to Tennessee, to Nashville, I heard these guys play. My first thought was, I don't know, man, you know, maybe I can get a job with the state of Tennessee. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like, I ain't going to play. That's for darn sure. Yeah. And, um, but it's something that you just do. I love it. Uh, again, it's not something that I wait to get on stage and play. I play constantly. You know, and I never cover anything up. There, there's some acoustics that I've got covered up simply to keep the humidity, you know, in the case and stuff. But uh, there was one friend of mine once. He called me up and we were doing a gig together. And he said, John, he said, I I, um, I pulled my guitar out of the case and I put new strings on it. And, um, you know, I'm ready to go. I've been practicing your stuff. And I went, you pulled your guitar out of the case? And he <laughs> said, yeah, out of the case, put new strings on. He says, I'm ready to go. I got your stuff. And I said, Pulled your guitar out of the case. And he said, yeah, I pulled my guitar out of the case. What, what's the deal? I said, what was he doing in the case? 
when I come home, the first thing that comes out before I even unpack is my guitar. <laughs> it goes on the stand because when I walk past it, I'm going to grab it and, right. and, and strum a few chords or do something. I'm going put it back, but it's always out and it's always accessible. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. You're, 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 you're glued to it, which is the way, yeah. the way you, you seem to be. Um, go, about 10 years of, of you guys together and you decided to go your separate ways. What was the reason for deciding to, to move on? Honestly, we, we were kind of affected by the same curse that affects so many other bands too many people get involved wow. that shouldn't be there. They're making decisions. Uh, they're kind of go, well, you're, you're the singer, you know, you're, you're the, you're the hit guy. You, you can get rid of him. You, you're better on, you know, and they would do stuff like that. And we both kind of fell into it. And that's why even when I go to uh, um, uh, colleges and I'll speak sometimes, right. especially, and I go, okay, here's the way it works, guys. Now, trust me on this because we've been through it on several different levels. Rule number one, keep your wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, and husbands out of your business. Rule number two, keep your stupid wives and girlfriends and your stupid boyfriends and husbands out of your business. Rule <laughs> number three, keep your well-meaning but ignorant, stupid husbands, girlfriends, because they end up getting in there and doing so i was just talking with a friend of mine last night played with a guy for seven years as a drummer she's a great drummer and she said well i'm not working with him anymore and i said what what and she said yeah his new wife didn't like me oh no. are you kidding me and it was like guys so a lot of people i mean it happens wow. To more people than you would imagine they they get in and you let them in because yeah. dan the one thing about dan and i that i really so appreciated is the fact that we never fought we never physically fought we would have exchanges on things but dan and i were both very reasonable because we're both solution oriented i don't want to dwell on the problem let's just fix this thing okay sure we would compromise. We would come to different understandings. And it was a wonderful relationship up to a point. I bet. Then also about that time, disco was just sweeping everything. And we we were having difficulty getting on the radio. Because again, you know, was, uh, Love is the Answer was the only song that I'm aware of that was in the top 10 in 1979 that was right. not disco. So... You know, you recognize this is this is the way it is. You just, and and again, we had traveled with all these groups, Bread and Three Dog and Chicago and Carol King, and it's just you watch people go like this, and some people have a slow decline. Others go boom, but everyone has a decline. Right. You have to know that it's very ephemeral. And you're here today and you're gone tomorrow because I used to call the music industry the fastest gun in the West syndrome. You're <laughs> always looking over your shoulder. There's yeah. always somebody there wanting to take your place. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, I, I'm not excluding myself. I would see these guys and going, okay, we can do, yeah, yeah. And then things happen and there you go. There you go. Exactly. Um, the the songs that came out of your repertoire with him um again live forever man your your legacy is never going to go away with with what this music is and i uh, know these songs well and i've been playing them since i knew we were going to interview and i uh, playing them again over and over and, and just feeling them where did the base of those songs come from um between the two of you between the two of us well, one of the things that dan and i learned because again we had done three albums on AM and it was yes. all up the exception of one. And I discovered that I think I'd made like a dollar ninety-eight all that that entire time on songs that I had written or Dan and I had written. And so we didn't want to do I'd really love to see you tonight simply because someone else had written it. We wanted right. to be no songwriters doing our own things. And then I saw the first check that came in from us doing I'd really love to see you, really love to see you tonight. And I Parker McGee wrote Parker that. McGee, right from Mississippi. Yeah. 
And I found myself calling Parker up and oh. going, Parker, hey, buddy, <laughs> what else you got? You know, it's just you just become mercenary. It's like, wait a minute. You mean I can get paid and I can continue to play? Right. Well, and John, I love that story with Doug Morris hearing the song through the wall of the Big yeah. Tree studio. That I mean, you guys had it going from the first time you played it in a room and then boom. Yeah. Fellas, whose first single of 1976 went gold just a few months ago. And even as I stand here running my jaws, their second one is making its way steadily up to the top of the charts. Great way to start a new year for England Dan and John Ford Coley. Hello, yeah, it's been a while, not much. How about you? I'm not sure why I called. I guess I really just wanted to talk to you. And I was thinking maybe later on we could get together for a while. It's been such a long time and I really do miss your smile. That was so ironic because, again, I'm not one that believes in coincidences at all. Right. It happens. Things happen. There's a reason for it to happen. You just kind of don't even try to figure it out. You know, I was talking, I, I, I hate to mention names, but Garth Brooks, when he first started out, I was there and I, I would talk to him and see him and stuff. And he said, I don't get it. I don't get the attraction what people are seeing and i said you don't need to just go with it it's not a coincidence figure it out in 10 years oh my god just go with it and yeah boom and then off yeah absolutely did and you know what were john you know a, a memory or two the, the the road that you you guys took up until you know you decided to move on to uh, you know in separate ways what were a couple of the moments in that in that 10 year span that really got to you wonderfully that made it made it so happy there must have been multiple times and multiple things you've been you were doing there were well first of all the learning curve was absolutely amazing wow. and i'm playing with all of these phenomenal musicians it's like okay i'll tell you a quick story um we were recording the first album on AM. right and we had german um engineer henry louis henry was big into meditation so we would all take breaks he'd go do his meditation and then we'd come back in and everybody would record so he and i i'd come into the studio early he's getting things prepared so it's just him and i in the studio 
And he just arbitrarily surprises me. And he said, John, who do you really like now musically? And I said, Henry, you probably haven't heard of some of the people that I really like. I said, there's, I don't like mainstream stuff by and large. I like, I like unique stuff. And I said, there's this one girl that knocks me out. I said, her name's Joni Mitchell. Have Uh you heard her? And he looked at me like a cow at a new gate. And he said, you serious? And I said, yeah, have you heard of her? And he goes, John, I'm her producer. Oh, God. In COC on Saturday, come over. So I go over to see Joni Mitchell in Studio C. Miss James Taylor by about 10 minutes, maybe. He had just finished. She's working on the Blue Album. And he had just finished playing on A Case of You. And so I sat in the studio, met her, watched her record. Last time I saw Richard and All I Really Want. You run into that kind of an environment. You find you're you're running with people. You know, like Bread. I'd heard of Bread. Elton John takes us to England with him for a month. We played one or two dates with him. Oh. He called play another one in San Diego. The next thing we know, we get a call. He says, I'm going to England for a month. Come move me over there. So it's like things would just systematically pop like that that had no reason to pop. And like I said, it's just like God reached down and kissed us on the head and said, go for it. Yeah, he kissed you on the head and also gave you guys just an absolutely beautiful sound and 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 feel. And 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 that's what I felt again at 62. And I heard this, I used to listen to this when I was probably 12. And yeah. so 50 years later, I still love what you did. You you guys went your separate ways. He went country, right? Pretty right. He- heavy country. <laughs> Well, he did very well in country. Dan should have been in country all along because that was more his forte. And that was where he really fit. So when he went over into country, he just excelled. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, he did. You jumped right in with Leslie and Kelly. off the I did. And then I into film as an actor. That's what I wanted to ask John, too. Uh, My mother was an actress. I love acting. I love film, everything like that. What 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 spurred on? John to do acting that is wonderful actually it was a complete coincidence a mistake uh, oh. a man that had become good friends with over the years was Alex Rocco and Alex played Mo Green in The Godfather he played the Bugsy Siegel kind of role he got shot in the eye on the on the massage table in Godfather 1 yes and so his son was doing a film so he's trying to call in as many favors as he can. And he calls in Joy Pantoliano, who went on to um, uh, Sopranos. And yes. doing that. And Steve Rellsback, who played Charles Manson and Helter Skelter, he calls me in. They pull in Timothy B. Schmidt as the bass oh. player band. I'm the drummer in the band. Uh, and so, I mean, the number of people that I ran into and I found out that I was a natural at it. As a matter of fact, they, they used to come up to me and, and say, John, look, it's not in the script, but we want you to ad lib something here oh. because I'm ad libbing all the time. And so they even got me one time. They put me, we were playing a club. I, I forget which one it was. We had already played the one that, that River Phoenix died at and Johnny yes. Depp owned. That, uh, that was the Viper Room. So yes. then we played this other place and they said, John, what you're going to do is you're going to be at the bar because my name in the band, in the film was Kenny Bond. So they said, go over and do your worst British accent and the waitress is going to come up and you say the name's oh, Bond. Kenny Bond. You know, <laughs> well, I meet the girl, big girl. And like like at the gym, kind of working out a lot kind of girl. And I said, hi, my name's John. And she looked at me and she said, hi, my name's Hope. Oh. You bastards. And I turned and I looked at, at the director and Steve and those, and they were just cracking up. They hooked me up with some guy, you know, and it was, I mean, just stuff would go on all the time. And I'm laughing most of the time because oh. it was just, it was so different than anything that I'd ever been involved in with music. Oh, I bet. So but I you... ended up about six 
things, you know, America's Most Wanted and, oh. and that. And the the film actually, I, we were just talking the other week. Uh, someone had seen it, and she said that's a real cult like following sort of a film. And I went, Yeah, I know. It just it, it didn't catch on, but it was it was a good film. It was well done. Oh, that's great. You also wrote songs for film and Not television. Your film. But, but for I, others, right? And other films. Yeah. Uh, Steve Relsback, the guy who was playing in the scenes from the gold mine, he and I did a couple of things together. He was another Texas boy. Uh, he played uh, Charles Manson in Helter Skelter. Right. And Steve was intense. And yeah. I, we just, you know, we just hit it off. And so actually how we hit it off was that he was very standoffish. He just wouldn't really talk to anybody. So when we met the first time, we just, you know, acknowledged the, the past that each one of us had had. And that's kind of it. Well, right. we played a scene to where we went over it probably three, four times. And I was supposed to go, way to go, Harry. And that was it. And so we're in the middle of rehearsal and... I said, way to go, Harry. And I grabbed him by the cheek and I tweaked his cheek like that and then slapped him on the arm <laughs> and walked off. And I saw the glaze come off of his eyes that split second. Well, the next morning, because he had just he had just kind of gotten there. The next morning, the executive producer comes over, producer comes over and he goes, John, what the hell did you do to Steve Rails back? Oh. I said, anything to Steve Rails back. Why? And he said, he informed me this morning that if he's got to share a, a trailer with anyone, you're the only one he's going to share the trailer with. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we just got to be good friends. And I put a bunch of songs in his film. I called him one time because he did a thing called The Spy Within, uh, Teresa Russell, Scott Glenn, things right. like that. Yeah. Called him up just to go, maybe go play pool or something. I said, Steve, you want to you want to go play a game of pool? And I live fifty miles away, and he said, Man, I'd love to, but I got this this film that I'm working on, you know, and I, and I, I got to get this stuff doing. And I went, Need any music? And he went, Yeah, I do. As a matter of fact, he says, You got anything? And I went, Yeah. What do you want to hear? And so I get off the phone. I want to meet him in an hour. And I get off the phone and I looked at my wife and I said, I got absolutely nothing to show. <laughs> to show him <laughs> so i grabbed a bunch of stuff i ran over to his house played me with, I like that i like that song you give me that song right so i ended up writing a couple of other ones for him and steve was a trip i i i so enjoyed that man oh that's great what a what a fun run that was for yeah. for you and that and, and in the in the 90s you, you returned to touring and playing with people not only Ambrosia and people like Three Dog Night, but, you know, I love some of the other people like Al Stewart. I just interviewed about three months ago, and I'm supposed to go Al see him this week um, at the Birchmere here. And yeah. what a wonderful artist. Um, what give, give me a little a couple of brief memories of some of, of the what you did with some of those people and what you really enjoyed. Well, I mean, first of all, Al is he's a Russian history freak. Number one, he's great. <sighs> and he can tell you everything you'd ever want to know about wine right yes yeah, so we talked talked a little bit about that <laughs> i mean we, we were up playing one, uh, one of the yacht rock things who was at orleans and christopher cross and al was on that particular show and so we're sitting in the bar later on and he's drinking with some guy you know one, uh, i think it was peter beckett maybe and, and the uh he said, well, well, what's in this thing? And Al says, well, it's got this and it's got this and it's got a little bit of Pignon Noir. And he says, how do you know that? And he goes, well, I, I just taste it. And so they asked the bartender and the bartender said, yeah, it does. He said, you, you know your stuff. <laughs> and it was like, I mean, a hundred dollar bottle of wine, three dollar bottle of wine, tastes oh. the same. I, I couldn't tell you, you know, right. I'm a drinker, but I mean, it was, it's funny talking to him. Yeah. He's really got a thing going with that. And what an amazing run uh, he had. And that's been yeah. one he of playing Rose in two weeks. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. Well, um, any other memories of some of the people again, the, the Pocos, the Christopher crosses, Stephen Bishop, Edgar Winter, some wonderful experiences. I bet. I just keep running across people all the time. Like I've really connected up with Richie Fury again. Oh, from, nice. 
when because we used to open for those guys years ago. I played with him. Uh, he was playing here in Dallas, and um, I called him up and I said, "You got an opening?" I mean, in uh, Nashville. I said, "You got an opening act for that winery date?" And he goes, "No, we don't." And I said, "Yeah, you do now. You know, I'm coming to play for you." And so we Ooh. ended up. Up. He played. I played with him in New Jersey at another thing, uh, and I learned stuff from people all the time. And I run to go see him. It's like uh, a couple of months ago, Billy Bob Thornton was playing down in Texas. Right. The theater. I've got that. The, the owner is a really good friend of mine. And I play down there quite a bit. He's doing an acoustic thing now. Billy Bob's a punk rock guy, and. He's playing all of his punk rock stuff acoustically. And I went, you know what? I hadn't thought about that. There's a lot of up-tempo things that Dan and I did that I just, I want to play, but you need a band. So I've started playing some of those things. And it's worked out terrific. So, I, you know, having seen him and talked with him and stuff, and it was really neat to talk with him because he has the the number one scene of any film that I've ever watched. Mm. And that's the fact of um, the, the Alamo when he played David Crockett. Right. And his line was, he's talking to David, uh, to Jim Bowie. And he, uh, he says, there's, if it was just old Davy, I might climb over that wall, drop over the wall, take my chances. He said, but that Crockett fellow, everybody's watching him. And I went, Oh my God, that is the most heart wrenching and gripping scene. I think. Yeah. I've and I said, I've always wanted to talk to you about that because you have no idea about this, but my, in, in the end of the film, they show the San Jacinto battle after the Alamo. Right. I said, great, great, great grandfather was in a group called the Mina Volunteers out of Bastrop, Texas, that were on their way to the Alamo. They made it to Gonzales, 70 miles away, the day before the Alamo fell. Had he made it to the Alamo, they'd have been killed in the field, and I wouldn't be here. But he went on to fight in that battle at San Jacinto, shown one of those men representing my great-great-great-grandfather. He was shot in the leg. He died 26 years later because they never got the bullet out and he died of lead poisoning. And I said, I just want you to know that. And he was like, oh, so you you get to meet people, you know, in in different scenarios. And I love it. Oh, that's that's fabulous, John. Uh, You know, again, that that's part of your your world and that and that kind of generation of your music and keep keeping going in the 90s you had a couple couple interesting things to talk about real quick was you made a tin pan south trip and and then nashville became more you became more a part of the community at that point well yeah uh because again nashville i mean me you got people that are some of the best writers uh, some of the best musicians I think I've ever seen, because again, they study it. It's a craft to them. And you'll rewrite a song three and four times because you, you're not just writing fluff. They are very serious about writing it. So they have inner rhymes and, and they take their time about it. It's got to make sense. You know, it's not just throwing words up on, on the, the chalkboard. Sure. It's, so I learned so much from those guys. My entire my guitar playing improved dramatically because I had the presence of mind when someone would play something that I didn't know. Go, whoa, stop right there. What did you just play? Show me what you just played. Wow. They would gladly show you what they just played because, again, they're always yeah. in teaching as well. And they're, they're much more humble about the stuff that they do. And I thought, you know, I, I've written hit songs. Yeah. But I went back to Nashville and I got my lunch handed to me. And I was really thankful and appreciative of that. I've been so lucky 
you know, in my entire career, because I, even growing up, I started out as a paper boy. My dad said, no, you can't get the job. And I said, okay. And I went out and I got the job. Never thought I'd get anything better than that. Then I went on to do this. Never thought I'd be anything better than that. Played in a band. Never thought it'd get any better. than, And it just kept going, you know. So there's an appreciation to know this could have gone to somebody else. Why it came to me beats the heck up. Oh, I love that, John, because and you're not alone. Nashville is such a piece of gold for so many people to go down and songwrite. So many guests of mine on Living on Music from established artists to up and comers have used Nashville as that. So I love to hear somebody like John Ford Coley using Nashville as well. You had a very interesting thing, sir, in 1997, where a handyman in Long Island was arrested for impersonating you. Now, what was that? You know, they called me and I had a I had a horse ranch at the time. Right. So they called me from Nashville, my my uh, uh, administrators, I guess you could say. And they said, John, have you been in Nashville? Have you been in New York recently? And I said, no. (laughs) And they said, have you been there in the last six months? And I said. No. And they said, have you? And I said, wait a minute. You know, what part of of no? How many times do I have to say this before you get what I'm saying? I said, I haven't been there. And they said, well, then you've got a problem. There's a guy in New York who's running around saying that he's you. He's playing gigs. He's getting on television and everything else saying that he's you. Honest to goodness, I was so far removed from all of it. I said, well, Tell you what, he wants to be me so badly. Tell him to come out here and watch the kids. I got about 60 bells of hate on loads so he can. <laughs> and they said, no, seriously. And well, come to find out he, he was. Oh. And eventually I had him arrested because what I what really got me was the fact that they said, and he's borrowing money from all of these people. And I went, that son of a gun, he's going to get somebody pregnant. And they're going to come after me. And that's oh. when. So uh, stopped him cold, had him arrested. Uh, American, uh, what was it? Uh, I forget the name of it. One, one of the TV shows. They had me go up there. I was going to confront him. Oh, He was playing in another club. And yeah, we, we had, him, um, had him arrested. He ended up spending a year in jail for that impersonation also again he was borrowing money from everybody but i saw he made tapes and he'd go okay this is my song called lady and he turned around and looked at the band and he wondered when did i write this thing guys and i'm going (laughs) he had nothing to do with it no you know and so but that was like the the third time it was second or third that was the fourth time and I, I talked to Dan and I said, so, man, this is like three times that this has happened to me. And he goes, no, it's four. Remember the guy when we were in Texas and and he was saying that he was you in the Southwest FOB. And I went, damn, I forgot about that. Oh, my God. So it's like I'm, I'm being impersonated all the time. And I mean, there, I got some guy in Miami. We'd played down there. And the next couple of days, there was an article in the paper about some party and John Ford Coley was there and he was dancing with all the girls and he was doing all this stuff. And and they said, do you know about that? And I said, no, I wish I could have gone. Sounds like I had a great time. You know, oh. but you, you kind of have to make fun of it at a certain point. I guess you do. Yeah, that is. Boy, that's a unique thing. My God. Look at people trying to trying to be John Ford Coley. Uh, well, that was never figure that out i mean no. you know i'm not very well recognized i mean you know the name right but uh facially and stuff nah you know, you know. that's that's wild um the 2000s john you know again 2009 released live from the philippines um yeah. and it was also i believe 2009 was the year that dan passed away right had you guys been in touch did you stay close at all uh over the years or what happened when he went it must have it must still hurt you no matter what 
No, no. The thing is, I was really proud of Dan. I never tried to get involved in his career. I never sent him any songs or anything like that. Because right. again, like, no, this is your this is your deal. This is where you shine, you know. And I'm not so insecure or, or selfish as to go, well, I want remember me sort of a thing. As a matter of fact, there there was I was standing in line at the airport one time, and this couple behind me, they uh they just started talking to me. It's the South, you know, you just talk to, just talk to people arbitrarily in line. And I said, Well, what do you what do you do? And they said, Well, we're accountants. And I said, Oh, okay. They said, and we have, you know, several country acts. Uh she said, Have you ever heard of Dan Seals? And I went, as a matter of fact, yes, I have. <laughs> and she said, well, you know, he, he's a big country artist. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> Anything for a long time. And then we were about to get on the plane. And I said, you know how I know Dan Seals? And they said, no, how? And I said, because I'm John Ford. Cole. Oh. And it was like, whoa. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't run around talking about that kind of thing. You right. know, it's, me and, and hundreds of other people have done this. So. Oh, my God. But what a chance out of the blue for somebody to say that to you. And then what a thrill for them to be able to hear that you that you were standing right there. I, I love that. And going through two, the 2000s, though, you had eclectic in 2016. What was the what's the musical sense through the last number of years for John Ford Coley? And, and again, now, where is where is it with maybe new music or are you going to continue to to do uh, what, what is on your, your plate and what did the 2000s bring to you? I just continue to go forward. That's right. the only thing. I write all the time. The eclectic record, again, because I was trained in so many different styles of music. Yes. Um, I don't like sticking to one thing. When I play on stage, I'm going to play piano, I'm going to play guitar. You might get classical, you might get, you know, one of the hits that Dan and I had. You might get rock and roll, you might get a folk song. I just like to play. And so I don't pick a, a particular style. As a matter of fact, Dan and I used to go into the record companies when we first started out. You could go in, you could play. And we would literally leave that room with almost every one of them saying, what are you guys? Are you country? You pop? You rock? You folk? You classical? You jazz? What are you? We'd go, yeah, pretty much. You know, we right. play all things. It's just natural. So I don't sit there and go chunk, 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 chunk. And then the next song is chunk, 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 chunk. And the next song is chunk, chunk. It's like, it bores me to tears, sure. you know? And so I like to branch out. Well, this eclectic album was just a collection of all the songs that I had wanted to record, or at least some of the songs that I'd wanted to record. Cause it's like 26 songs. Wow. The first side is uh, all produced band. The second side is mostly acoustic, um, a lot, of, a lot of ballads, big things like that. Had great people play on it. Vince Gill and I wrote a song together, uh -huh. guitar on it. I didn't want him to sing because he's so recognizable in that, but he's such a phenomenal guitar player. He's not utilized as a guitar player, mm -hmm. so he came in and played guitar on that. Had people like T. Graham Brown and Lydia Salonikova and. Oh. George Middleman and, and Jamie O'Neill and you know, they would come in, Colin Ray, and just sing on things. And again, when you it starts off with a thing called Beach Boys song, oh. and then the last song is I Should Have Never Left Texas. They're so diametrically opposed to one another. And that's what I like to do. Oh. Songs that, that go across the board. I want people, when they walk in or walk out, they've laughed a lot, number one, because I tell a lot of stories. I'm a Texas boy, and, I, and I, I laugh and I joke and I tell stories. And they're mostly funny. You know, there's nothing serious. Right. About it, really. Uh, it's just things that have happened on the road. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell one up in Annapolis um, when I go up there this next couple of weeks. Yeah, end of August, right in that square and I tell it out everywhere and people just guffaw and laugh because it's really funny. Right. So I'll wait to tell it there. But Oh yeah. I can't wait till you're playing there. You, you, you just made it, you just said something, John, that's interesting that you love to, to kind of diverse your, the music that you're doing and 
what your feelings are. Did you? But you and Dan played uh, music that was different in songs, but had a had a kind of a similar feel. Did you want to mix it up more during that time, or did you feel good about the the feel you had? No, you know it's very interesting because again, I was getting bored. I wanted to branch out. So when they, if you listen to Doctor Hickel and Mister Jive, yes. there's an, an eclectic feeling to that. You've there got is. fusion jazz on. Uh, um, uh, gosh, uh, caught up in the middle. Are you yes. into uh, rock and roll, heavy sax things on running after you? Then you've got, uh, um, uh, you know, of course, love is the answer, which is across the board, everything. Yes. What's forever for, which is a big ballad. And I tell everyone they wanted to turn us into a big ballad group. And I remember saying to Doug Morris, I love Air Supply. I love Air Supply. I love the songs they do. I don't want to be Air Supply. I want to enjoy them being Air Supply. You're trying to turn us into Air Supply. I don't want that. So I would end up writing different songs, classical-oriented things. And um, I tell everyone they tried to release uh, a Broken Hearted Me right. that ended a big hit on they tried to release uh what's forever for that michael martin murphy took and made a big hit on they wanted to release those on us and i i just tell everybody if i ever tell you this is a hit song and that's not a hit song don't believe me right don't believe me i've passed up songs dan and i both almost passed up i'd really love to see it tonight because we thought it was more of a feminine song oh wild it was like and we didn't want to do it because we didn't write it Right. Well, and but you and you know you also did Todd Rundgren's "Love Is the Answer," which is such a beautiful song. Well, when they brought that to us, I said seriously. I mean, really. I mean, I was such a fan of Todd Rundgren that oh. to have opportunity to do that song, what what a gem that was. But you did it so beautifully, too. It's not like, I don't know, to be able to grab a song like that as well and do it. And I was listening to a lot of the stuff, and I, I noticed that also on Dowdy Ferry Road, that 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 song you just starts going up, and there's it's, it's, it sounds like there's just a lot going on that's a little bit different from some of the earlier songs that you guys had, had been hits but, at. But that was us. Yes. That was, I, could, I, did, I did a song, a sequel to Daddy Fairy Road called Cottonmouth Grove on the uh, Eclectic album. Oh. And it and Dan wrote that, wrote Daddy Fairy Road, I wrote Cottonmouth Grove. And it's fun to be able to pull all of those different things together. Because again, you don't find many groups that do that. Dan and I were known for a lot of these really ballad kinds of things you know kind of soft but we played all kinds of music and we used to play in a rock and roll band and so this is a song that i really enjoy playing this is on the on the cd it's all with the band but i really enjoy playing it by myself as well so this is called cottonmouth grove <laughs> Near the path where her lover would go 
Watch Moss swing a live oak. Swore he'd come, it did not show. She ran to find him in her haste. Stepped right down in the big black snake, and she was gone. Gone, gone. Somebody recently told me, said, you, I think you've got ADHD. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't care if, if it if it's working. I don't care. I'm not. On, I'm not on any med, med, so I'm good. You know. Yeah. But it, I started thinking about that, and when you play classical music, it changes constantly. You go through this one movement, then it's another movement. It's entirely different than the one that you're dealing right. with right now. I love that change, and so I expect that. I mean, if I play uh, Dowdy Ferry Road after um, right then. I'm darn sure not going to play a Cottonmouth Grove right after it because, okay, I've already done that. Now let's do something different. Maybe I'll come back to it in a little bit, but let's play something that's a little bit you know, different. And I like the challenge of it. Oh. It keeps me motivated. Yeah, I, I bet, man. That, and that speaks of volumes to what you did together with him and also what you've done on your own. 2020, you released a live record, Long Way Home. And yeah, that was live in Israel and L.A. Was that what was the crux of that live record? Actually, the guy just I went to Israel to play and he said, we'd like to do a live album. And I was like, yeah, OK, sure. And so they did it. And then we ended up playing with the same guy in Los Angeles. And it was great because I was playing on Elton John's piano, which was wonderful in the studio. And I eat. Oh, you, Imagine the admiration and love that I have for Elton John. So to be able to play, you know, on that, on his piano, that was oh. thrill. And um, we we kind of did another live thing. So we'd take songs from each one and we would play them, you know, and put, put them a, a and B side. Like this is from Los Angeles, this is from Israel. And, and it was fun because I got to actually do do something in four languages uh, at that time. We sang Hatikva uh, in Hebrew. And then uh, I spoke in Tagalog in Los Angeles uh, from the Philippines. I did a song in French. Oh. And, you know, it's just it's just kind of fun now. You know, you don't have to sit there and try to impress anybody and, and jump up and down on the stage and be cool. You just kind of get to play, which is it's it's a it's satisfying oh i'm sure it is john um and things are still cranking along you're playing here at a place i know very well uh on my parents anniversary which would have been there i think their 53rd anniversary uh august 29th the ram's head on stage in annapolis great place and then friday september 1 you're banging back out to the Grattan resort and casino in california so look at you going you know and east to west I just got in from Denver the day before yesterday on Friday. I go to Midland, Texas, Wednesday, then turn around and go to Annapolis. And it was really funny because last time that I played Annapolis at the Rams had, I played with Terry Sylvester from the Hollies. Oh, fun. And have you ever, have you ever met Terry? I have not met Terry, no. Have you ever met Terry Sylvester? No. He he is quite a um um he was in the Hollies. Yes. So I, I I love to joke with him all the time. And I tell people, I'll call him up and I go, hey, Terry, how you doing? He goes, oh, oh, John, oh I'm good. How are you? Well, you know, they, they, they shot me in the chest and, and they, they cut my leg off. But I'm fine. I'm fine. fine. How are you? <laughs> you know, he's hilarious. <laughs> so I just, I just love to try to mimic his accent and stuff. Oh. That's fantastic. Well, look, I mean, uh, John Forcoli, thank you for this Living on Music run. And again, I mean it. The music you guys created back in the day was in uh, is, is in our souls. It really is. So you should feel really good about that. I hope you do. I do. I do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's touching to me to know that it affected or touched the lives of so many different people. It does. And when I when I got the note, uh, you know, the word that you and I could talk, I've been playing that music. And I do that with a lot of the musicians that I've listened to as a as a youngster, because music is so important to me. I'm a 17 year cover band singer and uh, just had three gigs this week. So I'm singing out there and having a blast and and can't can't tell you how much that your music means to me and how it always is. I'm wishing you the very best for Thank going you. forward. And thanks again for being on Living on Music, man. 
Thank you. I appreciate you having me here. Oh, my my pleasure. Keep in touch and good luck at Ram's Head on stage and we'll be in touch. Thanks so much. Sure, man. Appreciate wow. Uh, again, as I said in the uh, in the open, what an amazing experience to be able to talk to a guy whose music you heard when you were young and that's when music was starting to grow in you and i just remember those guys uh and that and that run that england dan and john ford coley had and it was wonderful uh to be able to talk to him john thanks so much uh for being on living on music and uh let's keep in close touch um if you want to be part of the living on music nation go to facebook right here and uh, join us it's a wonderful way to to get kind of pieces of the music world uh here and there all over the place and uh and um, and things that we post, things that um, that are posted by um, you know the Living on Music Nation, and 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 you know other things. It's a wonderful thing also about all the Living on Music episodes and things, and YouTube. That's where you find the episodes, uh, at least for the last three years. You can go to livingonmusic.com and read the articles from some of the biggest musicians in the world that I've interviewed on that. And those are the articles about interviews, but th these are Living on Music on YouTube, and uh, you can look at some of our episodes and uh, subscribe if you would. That'd be wonderful to uh, up the ante there always. That helps on YouTube. And if you're a podcaster, you can go to your favorite podcast uh, app and uh, find Living on Music with Steve Howe. But uh, once again, thanks so much to everybody. Appreciate the contributions through giving to Living on Music if you're able to do it. I'd love to welcome you in that way. And we're going to put people on at the end of show soon and show who has donated. Everybody who has is on livingonmusic.com on the left side where Al Stewart is, I believe, or somewhere you can find um, actually the logo uh, and you can go find it. Um, but you can go to Venmo and it's at Living on Music LLC. All one, Living on Music LLC. And any contributions just help us keep keep going because it's all uh, self-driven, the show, and it's been free up to now and it's been incredible. And um, we'll just see if we can turn a little bit of a corner. Anyway, thanks for joining Living on Music, John Ford Coley. A lot of great shows coming up, everybody. And remember, if you're going up, down, sideways, if you need a way to kind of even yourself out and feel good in your heart and soul, don't forget to be living on music. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.